you have your Bibles this evening, I want to invite you to turn to Mark chapter 10. What we're going to talk about tonight could significantly lower our stress level in the future. How many of you need a stress reduction? Okay. Uh, What we're going to talk about tonight could significantly advance the kingdom exponentially. How many of you want to significantly advance the kingdom exponentially? Okay. Okay, what we're going to talk about tonight could cause you to have much deeper friendships how many of you want deeper friendships? Yeah, we have a, a shallow American generation that has shallow relationships and friendships. And uh, we're going to talk tonight about becoming the servant of the Lord. And here's the question, title of the message, are you the servant of the Lord? Does that describe your life? Because if Jesus is Lord, he's the boss, and you have bowed your knee before him. And you don't just do that to be saved, and then you step back up to where you're in charge now. Lordship is not just something we say. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, but then you don't go do what I say? So living out the Lordship of Christ causes us to now embrace a new identity and it is completely contrary to our own pride and ego but the Lord in his deep love for us wants us to embrace the identity and the role of becoming the servant of the Lord when we do this a whole lot of stress will end up going down in our lives When other people get credit for things and not us, we're okay. Because the Lord whispers in our ear, it's not about you. (laughs) You're just here to serve. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Lord. Yeah, I need to hear that. There will be times when normally we would be on the fence on whether I should do this or do that. Well, that's uncomfortable. I don't really want to do that. That's kind of gross. I don't really want to do that. But it needs to be done. You know, I, I want to choose the cushy position. I want to choose, Lord, what do you want me to do? And he's, you're here to serve. You're here to serve. And if you have a mentality of I'm here to serve, whether we're on a stage speaking or we're changing diapers in the nursery, it's okay. I'm the servant of the Lord. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve my Lord and to do what he's called me to do. Now, A key to this is understanding your identity in Christ. We tend to grow up working and performing so that we can be loved and that we can be applauded and that we can be honored. We want to get the trophy and get the honor and stand on the stage and get the the ring and get the applause and get the certificate. And the people of this world live and they work and they serve many times really hard so that they can get something out of it. And it's like they're doing this to be loved. And some of the hardest working people I have ever met are people that have grown up with that performance-based love 
but it's toxic for them because it's never enough. They're a hamster on a wheel. I'm always trying to do more because my identity is wrapped up in trying to be loved by people recognizing me for my acts of service and the things that I do. But when the prodigal came home, he had been humbled. And his identity shifted. Instead of one of entitlement, he now said, do you remember what he said? He said, in my father's house, the servants are so well treated by my father, I am willing to embrace the identity of a servant now. And with humility, he walks back home, broken over his own sin. And he's walking up now, having embraced the identity of a servant. And then what did he hear from the father? You are, he, he says, take my best robe and put it on my son. Put a ring on his finger. He didn't earn this. He doesn't deserve this. This is the heart of the father. This is the love of the father. I love you. My son was dead and now he's alive again. He was lost and now he's found. You see this picture of the heart of our God. And what happens is when we realize who we are in Christ and we realize that I am his beloved son because I'm in Christ, I can rest now and I don't have to do acts of service to win people's love anymore. Because my love tank is full. My love tank is full because the Holy Spirit, Romans 5, pours out the love of God in my heart. I'm now blessed with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So because my love tank is full with my identity in Christ, I can then be okay with not getting the award and not being first in line and not having the trophy. I'm good. I'm good. I'm happy. I'm satisfied. And I can celebrate the successes of other people and the jealousy in my life begins to dissipate because love sets in. I'm loved. I think there's a lot of people in churches and they're working, 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 working because they have that hole in their hearts. They're longing to be loved and their way to feel loved is by getting approval and verbal affirmation from people. And they're trying to get that. And if they would just rest in who they are in Christ and realize how much God loves them and how much he loved them through Christ, he fills up their love tank. Now they can serve out of love instead of to be loved. They can serve to be a blessing rather than to be blessed. They can serve with joy rather than the exhausting anxiety of trying to get something that Christ has already paid for on the cross. But this role of service is a beautiful thing in Scripture, and I want us to, to walk through what Scripture says about this role because it is so liberating to embrace the identity of the servant of the Lord. Let's pray together. Would you ask the Lord to speak to your heart tonight? Father, we are here to serve you and our Lord Jesus Christ. And we ask that you would speak through your word, through the power of your Holy Spirit right now, that every person in this room would hear a different message that you have tailored for their hearts. Lord, help us to love Jesus even more and to follow Jesus even more faithfully. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. We have a generation, as you know, that is an entitled generation. And uh, right now, uh, all across America, 
it has been reported that 42% of small businesses surveyed says they now have job openings that they cannot fill because people aren't willing to get out of their houses and go to work. Now, for some people, it's understandable if it's out of a serious issue of a, of a COVID outbreak or those kind of things, but people are sitting at home getting free checks right now. And a whole lot of people, I don't know, have you been at a restaurant? I have in Albany where I'm like, they says 45 minute wait. And I'm like, there's like six tables right here that are wide open. You know, what's the deal? You know, like, we can't get any workers. Nobody's willing to come and serve. Nobody's willing to work. Well, it's going on right now all across America. And, uh, and the economy right now is suffering because of it. And um, we have a generation that, you know, did, did, we, I heard when I was a kid, what was it, McDonald's or Burger King? It says, you deserve a break today. What was it, McDonald's or something? We heard that kind of, this generation is, you don't just, just deserve a break, but you deserve a free cell phone and Wi-Fi coverage and free college and health care and you name it. You just deserve all that. And so instead of working, earning, and taking care of themselves, we have a generation that's continuing to have more of a socialist mentality. But I'm just going to let somebody else take care of me and handle everything. It's an entitlement mentality. Things should magically show up for free. And I tell my kids all the time, I'm like, hey guys, uh, kitchen right now, the cleanup fairies never showed up after you guys ate, and uh, so y'all are going to have to do it again today, you know? And uh, with the, your, your clothes don't magically wash themselves when you're at college, you know? And uh, there's all these things that car doesn't fill itself up with gas, you know? You have to get up and get busy and get working, and you need to carry your own weight. And so, but at the same time, we think about the service of other people, restaurants oftentimes are not just the food, but you're like, man, the service is great at that restaurant. Or the people at this hotel, you know, are known for just excellent service. And anytime you're in a place where there's excellent service, it's very attractive to you because you feel valued and honored. And if people are made in the image of God, then anytime we're around them and we're serving them, they ought to feel like they are priceless and made in the image of God by how we speak to them, how we serve them, how we treat them, and how we act around them. But this mentality of entitlement isn't a new thing. If you look in Mark chapter 10, we're going to look in uh, verse 35. Jesus shows up, and James and John, the two sons of Zebedee, came up to Jesus and they said, can we get a free iPhone? You know, <laughs> this is what they said. They said, teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. <laughs> Have your kids ever come to you and says, hey, can I do something? And you're like, well, what is it? <laughs> and he said to them, what do you want me to do for you? And they said to him, grant that we may sit one on your right and one on your left in your glory. We're trying to beat the other disciples to the punch. Hey, hook us up with the best seat in the house when we get to heaven. But Jesus said to them, uh, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or to be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? You think about, when they, they didn't realize what was about to happen. The persecution, the scourging, the rejection, the taking the sin of the world on his shoulders, Jesus being crucified, you know, uh, all that he was about to go through. They didn't understand that. And in all of their audacity, they said, oh yeah, we're able to do that. Next verse. And Jesus said to them, the cup that I drink, you shall drink. And James was the first one executed of the disciples. 
John was exiled. And he said, and you will be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized. But to sit on my right hand and on my left, this is not mine to give. But it is for those for whom it has been prepared. Hearing this, the ten other disciples began to feel indignant with James and John. You ran ahead of us and you asked for the extra fries, you know, in the bag. And you, you know, what are you doing? You know, they're upset with him. Calling them to himself, though, Jesus shuts down the whole argument. And this is where we're, this is where we're landing tonight. You know that those who are recognized as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. They take full advantage of their, these lost non-believers, the Gentiles of this world, they take full advantage of their positions. And they're stepping on the necks of the people they're working. They're treating them like slaves. And they, the, the leaders, have the cushy jobs. They're lording it over them. But he says, and this is to us today, but it is not this way among you, Sherwood Baptist Church, whoever wishes to become great among you shall be your servant. And there's the word right there, doulos. It was used as a slave, a servant, the lowest position at the table. The servant is the one that is here to serve everybody else. The servant, the description doulos, the one whose will is consumed with doing his master's will, no longer his own will. A servant now says, it's not about me anymore. It's not about what I want anymore. It's not about my desires anymore. I am here to serve my master. Jesus says, this is what I want you to embrace. If you want to be great in this world, you need to embrace the identity of a servant. He says, whoever wishes to be first in line, top dog, first chair. Now, he, he doesn't just say you must be a servant, but notice what he says. Must, among you shall be slave of who? All, everybody. He says, if you want to be at the very front of the line, you've got to embrace servitude for everybody. Now, we, we will find out later on, the only one who is first of all is Jesus. And you find out in Scripture that he is the only one who became the servant of all. He did it. The more people we are willing to serve, the more people we will esteem as more important than ourselves in our interactions with them, the more people we honor and say, you know, it's not about me anymore. It's about you. We become more like Jesus. We become less stressed in so many ways, less jealous, less offended so easily that we didn't get what we wanted, less entitled, more like Christ, and wonderful things begin to happen. And then Jesus shifts and he says, for even the Son of Man, the one who created the universe, the one who has all power in heaven and in earth, did not come to be served, but to serve. And then he lays out the greatest need and his greatest service of all to give his life a ransom for many. Here's the extreme example of Jesus' service. I am willing to serve you in any capacity that is needed. But I'm willing to lay down my life out of my love for you because that's going to meet your greatest need. 
all of us will serve something in life. Romans 6 says, you will either serve serve sin or you will serve righteousness. You will serve yourself and the devil or you will serve God. Romans 6 says, whatever you are submitting the members of your body to serve and obey, you are now the slave of that thing. So if you're submitting your hands, your feet, your body to serve drugs, pornography, this world, you are now the slave of those things, Romans 6 says. But if you will submit yourselves, the members of your body, to serve the Lord, you will now become the doulos, the the servant, the slave of the Lord. And that's a really, really good thing because we have a great master. We have a great master who loves us. In the Old Testament, when God established the law and he laid it out, he said, when a slave is set free, if they want to, if they love their master so much, they were treated so well, they can come back and say, I want to continue to serve you. I love my master. I will not go free. And in those situations, it is a picture there of our life to Jesus. Is that we're like, you know what? We have an amazing master. Our boss is the best boss in the universe. And because of that, I want to continue to serve him in any capacity that I can. What a joy. So I started looking in scripture. I was like, is there anybody else whose identity was wrapped up in service? And I realized all the greats in scripture were called the servant of the Lord. In Genesis 26, God calls Abraham my servant. Jacob was called God's servant. In Numbers 12, God calls Moses. In Moses, I saw it a lot. He said, Moses, my servant. Moses, the servant of the Lord. Moses embraced servitude back to God. Joshua 5, Joshua falls on his knees before the captain of the Lord's army, which I believe was Jesus, and he says, what does my Lord wish to say to his servant? Joshua, as he's launching into great leadership, his first great decision to take over Jericho happened because he embraced the heart of a servant. Joshua 24, 29, he calls himself Joshua, the servant of the Lord. Ruth, saw herself as the servant of Boaz and called herself the servant of Boaz. And she ended up getting a husband out of it (laughs) and becoming part of the lineage of Christ. Abigail, if you remember, she had that wicked husband named Nabal, which means fool. And she ran ahead in order to save her husband's life because David and his men were about to go kill him because he was a foolish, selfish man. And, uh, And she runs ahead, brings... Uh, food, bows herself down before David, and she says, I am your servant. Take these items. Please show mercy to my master, my husband, and ends up saving uh, her husband's life. Later on, God took him out anyway. And then later on, uh, she says to David, behold, your handmaid is a servant to wash the feet of the servants of my Lord. Her embracing servitude She ends up getting a husband out of it, goes from the wickedest man that we know about, the Nabal, to the man after God's own heart, David, because she was willing to humble herself and embrace the role of a servant. Elijah was called the Lord's servant. Nehemiah viewed himself as the servant of the Lord. Job, God called Job, my servant Job. Have you considered my servant Job? At the end, my servant Job will pray for you. Because Job was the servant of the Lord, God blessed him, used him, honored him. Daniel, Daniel chapter 9, when he prays, he says, listen to the voice of your servant. All the greats embrace this, not just as a side job sometimes when they're needed 
when they're available. But this became their identity. So, Mary, the angel shows up. We shift to the New Testament. And he says, you're going to be pregnant with the Son of God. And Do you remember what she said? How can she say this? How can she do this? Because to say, yes, I'm okay with being pregnant and being a virgin and being young, this is a death wish. I could be stoned. This is humiliation for my family. This is awkward with Joseph. <laughs> you know, there's, it goes on and on, all the things. But the way she was able to do it is she said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. As she's processing all that is before her, this one thing helped her make the right decision. I am the servant of the Lord. So when the Lord lays you and me uh, and, and gives us a calling, a responsibility, how are we going to respond? Look, I'm too big for that. I'm too great for that. I'm going to hold out, Lord, until the good jobs come. He's like, this is the good job. <laughs> this is the way to greatness. And that is humble yourself. So sometimes I think we can have a mentality where we're like, you know, this, I understand the strategy here. It's kind of cool to, to act like I'm small and to pretend like I'm small, and then later on, God will reveal me in all of my glory. And the Lord's like, uh, you are small. <laughs> he said, no, the, the reality is, you can, apart from me, you can do nothing. Your righteousness is as filthy rags. You were my enemy, but out of love, I set my love upon you, and now I've made you my beloved child. And you are priceless and beloved as my child, but you still need to embrace the role of being a servant. Now, here's what's interesting. These two guys, James and John, along with the other disciples, later on, they began to embrace the identity of service. And so I went back and I looked in the New Testament, and this is how they introduced their letters. Romans 1, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Here's my resume. If you read Philippians 3, he describes all of these great things about his previous resume. I was a Pharisee of Pharisees and, you know, circumcised the eighth day, tribe of Benjamin, all those things. And now that he's met Jesus, he's like, I am the slave of the Lord. I'm the servant of the Lord. And I willingly, joyfully embrace that. I love my master. I will not go free. Romans 1. James 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's his introduction now. That's his business card, James, the servant of God and Lord Jesus Christ. Peter, Simon Peter, in 2 Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 2.16, he says, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but live as the servants of God. This is Peter talking. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ. Go look at the beginning of it. John then later on calls him, the self, the servant of the Lord. But most importantly, the model here that Jesus said, the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve. So Jesus modeled perfect service in every context and in every situation. He said in John 6, 38, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. There's the description of the doulos right there. I, I came down not to do my own will anymore, but I came here to do my Father's will in this situation. He embraces servitude, knowing he's the beloved Son of God, and he's able. His, his love tank is full. He doesn't have to have the applause of his disciples, because it was very wishy-washy. 
He doesn't have to have the, the people cheering for him, thronging him. Oh, Elvis has entered the building. Jesus is here. He didn't have to have that to move forward and be cheered up in order to keep on serving. He knew he was deeply loved as God's beloved son. And so he could step in those situations when people were witchy-washy and embrace the role of service. And I thought about it. He's doing it on a big level, and he's doing it on a small level. As we talked about this morning, he's talking to the woman at the well, and his way of serving in that situation was to offer her living water. But he's also standing up and speaking to thousands of people. He's also meeting Nicodemus in John 3 in the middle of the night, because Nicodemus doesn't want anybody to know he's talking to Jesus, that he might be the Messiah, and Jesus, I don't know if he was sleeping or not, you know, but Jesus spends time pouring into Nicodemus. What is the need of Nicodemus right now? He needs to be born again. And Jesus shifts the conversation, you know, not to the latest, you know, uh, camel race in Jerusalem. You know, hey, would you hear what's going on in the race, man? Yeah, it's awesome, you know. No, he's shifting to the need of the moment in Nicodemus that he must be born again. So in the garden, Jesus is, the weight of the world is on his shoulders. He said, I'm, my soul is exceedingly sorrowful even unto death. And then he gets on his knees, and what does he say? Not my will, but yours be done. There's the heart of the servant. That is how Jesus could go to the cross. He knew who he was, and he had died to himself. Philippians 2, who being in the form of God, thought it not equality to be equal with God, or robbery is what King James says, but made himself of no reputation, emptied himself, took upon himself the form of a servant the lowest of the low, and then was obedient even to the death of the cross. So Jesus is modeling it, and if you think about it, this is how he's living now. He goes into a city, what's going on in this context? These people are demon-possessed, how does he serve them? Cast out the demon. These people are ignorant, how does he serve them? I'm going to teach them. These people are hungry, how does he serve them? I'm going to feed them. These people are prideful, how does he serve them? Rebukes them, <laughs> you know. <laughs> These people think they're going to heaven, but they're really going to hell. How does he serve them? He tells them, you're going to go to hell, except you repent. In every, they're sick. How does he serve them? He's healing them. Whatever the need of the moment is, he has shown up to do the will of his father, not to do his own will, not to be entertained, not to be the center of attention, but for him to do the will of his father. And as a result, masses are following him. The Father is honored in each situation as Jesus is embracing their servanthood. So what would happen to you if you showed up at work this week and you said, it's not about me. I'm here to serve. I'm here to serve my boss and make my boss successful. I'm here to serve my coworkers and those coworkers that are hurting, I'm going to comfort them. And the coworkers that are discouraged, I'm going to encourage them. And the coworkers that need prayer, I'm going to try to make time to pray for them. The coworkers that are worn out, beat up, ready to quit, I'm going to go in and encourage them or support them. Those that are overloaded and need a helping hand, I'm going to assist them because I'm here to serve. It's my role, it's my identity. I'm the servant of the Lord. I'm my father's beloved child. I'm here to serve. What would happen if we do that? People would be like, what happened to you? 
You usually come in here whining and complaining. <laughs> you usually come in here trying to get everybody to do stuff for you, and you're in a situation now where you're trying to help me? And gospel conversations open up. And representing Christ happens because believers embrace what Scripture says. Quit trying to be the top dog. Embrace the role of being a servant. What would happen if husbands came home from work this week and they said, I'm going to turn the TV off and I'm going to walk and I'm going to spend this evening serving my wife and serving my children? What's the need of the moment? Oh, my, this son needs help with his homework. I'm willing to help him. Trash needs to be taken out. Willingly, I'm here to serve. How can I help? Dishes need to be washed. I'm willing to help. Oh, you're exhausted. We don't have dinner plans. I'll either cook it or I'll make the phone call. We're calling Chipotle or Chick-fil-A or something. Everybody load up the car. We're going to hit Chick-fil-A again. I got a lot of points on my app. You know, whatever it is. But what would happen to your marriages? Ladies, would you like that? Nobody. Two, two, thank you, you two. The men, what if our wives had a mentality, how could I serve you? What if all the children, instead of trying to get the biggest fry, and try to, instead of trying to get that remote, instead of, what if they all started serving one another? What's the need of the moment? We would be, we would be like, revival is breaking out in my home. What is happening but that's what Jesus did from city to city, place to place, conversation to conversation. I am here to serve. And do it with joy. No, you're loved. No, you don't have to. It's funny when you do something nice for somebody, or you give something to something, they go, you don't have to do that. And I say, I know. <laughs> I want to. I get to. What a privilege. Service is the key to understanding Jesus' ministry. Isaiah 53 the prophecy of the coming Messiah. God calls the coming Messiah my servant in that passage. And we had griefs, and it said he would bear our griefs. And we had sorrows, and it said so he would carry our sorrows. And we had transgressions, so he's wounded and shedding blood on the outside for our transgressions. And we had iniquities, so he's bruised and sheds blood on the inside for our iniquities. And we needed to be healed, so by his stripes we are healed. Everything we need happens in Christ because of his sacrifice and what he does for us. Service is the key to greatness, Jesus said. And it's also the key to leadership. He said, if you want to be the master, the great leader, embrace service. What is the difference between a leader who sometimes serves and someone who embraces their identity as a servant first and then they become a leader? If I'm a husband first and then a servant second, I'm going to be serving myself sometimes, serving my wife sometimes. If I'm a servant of the Lord first, remember the disciples, they shifted their identity. Now, servant of the Lord was the first way they began to describe themselves. If I'm the servant of the Lord first, then whatever position I'm in, I'm a much better leader because I'm a servant first. If we have a mentality of I'm here to serve, everything shifts. What would happen if the world, what would the world have been like if Hitler had been a servant leader instead? If Mussolini had been a servant leader instead? If Gaddafi had been a servant leader instead? If Saddam Hussein had been a servant leader instead? If every American president had been a servant leader? What would happen if it's I'm here to serve? 
all over the world, people who are suffering right now, oftentimes in each place, business, organization, church, city, it's because leaders are self-serving leaders rather than humble servant leaders. The giant of self-centeredness may be seen in the dictator, the overbearing boss at work, even the unloving husband, the abusive parents, whatever. And we need leaders who step in and embrace the heart of Christ saying, I am here to serve. There is a severe shortage of this type of leadership that Jesus modeled. He says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. Today, many leaders think the goal is to get elected, get promoted, get selected, consolidate power, and get as much as they can. Corrupt, greedy, even dishonest leadership keeps billions of people around the world stuck in poverty, disease, and illiteracy because leaders are not willing to serve. And if you've been to countries around the world where there is a dictator who's taken over and, and totally destroyed the, comp, the economy and what is happening and to see on the backs and the necks of the people what is happening, that is the default of worldly pagan leadership. That's what they will default to. And Jesus is communicating the absolute opposite of that. He says, the one who serves you best will be the leader. So we want to jockey for position. We want to be the quarterback. We want to be the wide receiver. We want to win the touchdown. And I remember, I don't know if you were in that situation. You know, we're on the team, and they say, okay, you're going to go out. I'm going to, Stephen, you block. All right, I'm going to block, you know. (laughs) If you have a mentality, though, if we have a mentality, if you know what, I'm loved by my father. I'm okay. It's not about me. I'm here to serve. If blocking's needed, I'm going to block. That's what I'm going to do in this situation. Just by saying in your heart, I'm here to serve, can cause your stress level to go down. Decisions become easier. Believers ought to be the best leaders in the world. The absolute best leaders in the world. I've told people, just, let me just pause for just a second. I've had, I don't know how many times I've said this that one of the best bosses I have ever had in my life is Jim McBride. And uh, when he took over the executive pastor position at this church, the stress level of the staff started going down. Us being well taken of, the, uh, the decisions he began to serve behind the scenes. When Jim came to our church, he went to Michael and he said, how can I serve you? He said, what's your biggest stress level? Michael said, well, at this time, it's all the stuff going on at the school. So Jim went over to the school, got got in with the leadership of the board and began incrementally shifting the school's leadership towards being very Christ-centered and humble-focused. And God has blessed SCA so much over the years because of the -the behind-the-scenes leadership of Jim McBride. The staff could tell you there's so many times they're in meetings because Jim has a servant's heart. And he says, how can I pray for you? What can I do for you? That kind of leadership makes you want to follow that kind of leader because you love them and you realize they love you. 
I could go on and on, whether it's being Butch Bowers in Flywheel, how can I serve, or Bobby Lee Duke in Facing the Giants. Behind the scenes, I have been very grateful. When I was thinking, who are these servant leaders that I know? Jim is one of the top ones that I, that I know about. I'm just, I thank God for him and what he's done for this church. Service is the key to gospel advancement. Good works that change the world are accomplished by those willing to serve. Discipleship happens from generation to generation by those willing to serve. Prayer happens by those willing to serve. Whatever the need is, God is calling us to not preach ourselves, but Christ as Lord and ourselves as servants for your sake. Service is the key to best utilizing your spiritual gift. 1 Peter 4.8, he says, Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another. He says in verse 10, As each has received a gift. You have a spiritual gift? Yes, you do. If you're a believer, you have a spiritual gift. He says, If you've received a gift, and you have, use it to serve others as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks, speaks as the oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God provides in order that in everything God may be glorified through Christ Jesus. If God has given you a gift, a talent, an ability, don't hide it under a bushel and don't bury it. But he says, use this now to serve other people. Service is the key to friendship. John 15, Jesus says, no longer do I call you servants for the servant does not know what his master's doing. But now he said, I have called you friends. For all that I've heard from my father, I have made known to you. And there are many people that if you're like, I want to become the friend of that person, then start serving them. Look for their needs. Look for how you can help them and support them and initiate and start serving them. Service is also the key to being a good conversationalist. And I've been having this conversation with my kids. I'm like, quit talking about what you want to talk about. Quit talking about yourself. When you sit down with people, Find out the need of the moment. What is the need of the moment? Everybody has a need of the moment. Every day, all day long, everybody has a need of the moment. It just may be they just need a listening ear or they need an encouragement. Whatever it is, everybody in this room has needs right now. And if you have a conversation with people, don't waste that conversation. Find out what the need of the moment is. Sometimes you can just ask, how can I pray for you? What's going on with you right now? And when you're interacting with people, to be, able to, to be able to find out what is the need of the moment. Is there anything I can do for you right now? And it's amazing how the conversation will suddenly shift to becoming deep and personable and heartfelt and love, and it gives you an opportunity to serve. And when you find out they're hurting, comfort them in that moment. I'm so sorry you're going through that right now. I mean, we're trying to make a decision. Can I pray for you in that decision? we're dealing with a lot right now. Can I just encourage you? God, you can do this. God's on you. Friday night, we were at, uh, in, at Windshape with my son graduating from Impact 360. And I'm standing there, and there are these two young ladies, one's 26 and one's 28. They're daughters of a pastor in North Georgia. And uh, the one who's 26, the younger girl, just got engaged to be married. Her older sister, who's not married, 28, is standing there, and I said uh, to the 26-year-old engagement, I said, tell me about your sister. I'm just meeting her sister. She says, my sister is one of the most humble, godly women I know. She's my best friend. I love her. 
And I'm standing there and I'm thinking, okay, she's 28, she's older, she's single, she's watching her younger sister now getting married. What do I know the need of the moment is? She loves her sister, she's happy for her, but she's dealing with it. And what, is the, what do I already know the devil is saying to her? I, we, we already know what the devil's going to be saying to her. And I said, can I just say something to you? The Holy Spirit inside of me was like, Stephen, boom, <laughs> lay it on her. I said, can I just say something to you? I said, if you were in the presence of the Lord right now, you would be overwhelmed by how much he loves you. I said, he created you. I said, he has, his purposes for you are good. You are just fine. I just want you to know, I know that in your heart, the devil may be right now, because you love your sister, be telling you something's wrong with you. There is nothing wrong with you. You are God's beloved daughter. I'm speaking to the need of the moment. It's very clear. And that quick three-minute conversation became eternity impacting. Ephesians 4.29 Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment so that it will give grace to those who hear. It bothers me when I see men of God telling dirty jokes with a foul mouth because they're trying to impress people. And I've I've seen... I've seen pastors, I've seen ministers, I've seen other people that you're hanging around with them and in the midst of all the good things they're talking about, the Lord is say, hey, let me tell you something. And they tell a totally inappropriate joke. And I'm thinking, why are they doing that? Because even if the joke's funny and my flesh wants to laugh at that, what does my respect level do for that person? The end result is I respect him so much less. But scripture says instead of doing that, Throw that off and put on thanksgiving instead. What if instead of him telling me the dirty joke, he said, can I just tell you what I'm grateful for right now? What God's doing in my life. I'm grateful for this, grateful for my wife, I'm grateful, grateful for you, I'm grateful for... Just talking about thanksgiving, edifying, or shifting to what's the need of the moment. Your relationships with people are going to vault to a whole new level if your conversation, just in your mind, be saying, Lord... I'm about to sit down with this person and it's about to be a wasted day and a wasted conversation talking about a bunch of nothing. It's going to be a big nothing burger for 5, 10, 20 minutes right here. Lord, I am here to serve you and I'm here to serve this person and represent Christ. And like Jesus did to Nicodemus or anybody else he's talking to, help me to find out the need of the moment like your word says and to edify this person. Whatever the need is, let me speak to that in this moment. I'm telling you, Every conversation will become pregnant with eternal impacting fruit when we shift to the need of the moment and we serve like Jesus did to the people who are around him. It's fun. It gets fun when we shift and we try to line up with the Lord. Lastly, serving well is the key to being found faithful because what are we all longing to hear when we stand before our Lord? Well done, good and faithful servant. What a privilege, what an honor. So tonight, would you join me 
and let us do what Jesus did and let us do what he's telling us to do. And can we recommit ourselves? Can Sherwood Baptist Church become a place where we're all walking around humbling ourselves, serving one another, loving one another, encouraging one another, building up one another, and then doing that as salt and light to this community. What would happen if we become unselfish and we begin to serve our wives and our children and our families and our parents, even as adults, and we put on the heart of Christ? Because Jesus said the good Samaritan serving the needs of the person in the ditch is a picture of what love looks like. And we can do that every day because we're constantly meeting people who are in a ditch in some way. And the Lord wants us to be his hands and feet in those moments. As we pray, there are families that will be joining this evening, and during this time of prayer, I would encourage you to stand up, and you can come over here and line up on this wall, and then they will be presented in just a moment. Uh, but let's pray right now, and let's ask the Lord to give us again the willing heart of a servant. Would you just do business with God right now? I know I've had to ask the Lord, Lord, please forgive me for so much selfishness that has been in my life. Make me a servant. Would you ask the Holy Spirit, would you ask your, your Father right now to show you who you need to start serving in your life? Yes, everyone, but there may be someone specific that you really need to shift and start serving more that's in your life right now. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you that Jesus came to serve and he meets every need and you meet every need that we have. And Father, I pray that we would receive your grace covering our sin, that we would receive the blessings and the love we have in Christ and embrace the identity as your beloved children. Even as we sang tonight, my father's house, I am who you say I am. And Lord, out from that, may we embrace service. Willingly, joyfully, not with a bad attitude, but excited and eager to serve others and to show your love in each situation. Lord, change our marriages, change our families. 
help our children to grow up and learn service early on. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to serve this community. Help Sherwood to be a need-meeting agent to this community. Enable us by your grace, Lord, to do so. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.